اعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم صلى الله وسلم عليك يا سيدي ويا مولاي يا رسول الله صلى الله وسلم عليك يا سيدي ويا مولاي يا ابا عبد الله يا غريب يا مظلوم كربلاء يا ليتنا كنا معكم سادتي فنفوز فوزا عظيما قال الله تعالى في محكم كتابه الكريم اعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم واذا سالك عبادي عني فاني قريب واذا سالك عبادي عني فاني قريب اجيب دعوه الداع اذا دعان فليستجيبوا لي وليؤمنوا بي لعلهم يرشدون God states in the Holy Quran in the name of God most gracious most merciful O prophet when my servants ask you about me tell them truly I am near I answer the call of the caller when he or she calls me. So let them respond to me and believe in me that they may be led aright. Amanna billah, sadaqallahu al-aliyyul azim. Let us begin by enlivening our hearts and mind in our gathering with the salutations upon the Holy Prophet and his purified progeny, Sallu ala Muhammadin wa Ali Muhammad. Have you ever wondered where God is? Where does God reside or exist? Is God up in the sky? Is he in the east? Is he in the west? Does God hear us? Does God see us? Does God respond to us? How can we communicate with God, especially if we can't see God? Many of us have probably wondered, we've asked ourselves and others these questions. And those who came before us also asked similar questions. During the time of our Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, and his family, a man came to him one day. And he asked him, he said, Ya Rasulullah, O Messenger, where is God? Is God far away so that I may call on him loudly? Or is God close by so that I whisper when I call upon him? The Prophet remained silent until verse 186 from the second chapter of Surah Al-Baqarah was revealed to the Prophet. God said, وَإِذَا سَأَلَكَ عِبَادِي عَنِّي فَإِنِّي قَرِيبُ أُجِيبُ دَعْوَةَ الدَّاعِي إِذَا دَعَانِ فَلْيَسْتَجِيبُوا لِي وَلْيُؤْمِنُوا بِي لَعَلَّهُمْ يُرْشِدُونَ he said, O Prophet, when my servants ask you about me, tell them that I'm very close and that I answer the call of the one who calls upon me. So let them answer my call and let them believe in me. This verse, verse 186 from Surah Al-Baqarah, 
it raises two important points. The first point is that it gives us a sense of God's location, where God is. God says, فَإِنِّي قَرِيب I am very close. Other verses give us a similar expression. In one verse, God says, وَنَحْنُ أَقْرَبُ إِلَيْهِ مِنْ حَبْلِ الْوَرِيدِ And we are closer to the human being, God says, than his or her jugular vein. If you put your finger right now on this jugular vein, you'll feel a heartbeat, right? This vital organ which connects the blood from our brains to the rest of our bodies. You'll notice that if someone's in an accident or someone is in, injured seriously, that paramedics, the first thing they'll do is what? They'll check for a pulse. They'll put their finger right here to check for a pulse because this is one of the most vital organs. It connects our brain to the rest of our body and it allows us to live. God says, I am closer to the human being than their jugular vein. It's very close to us. Sometimes you can even feel your heartbeat, right? Without even touching it. Sometimes in certain situations, you might feel your heartbeat actually pumping in your jugular vein, in your neck. God says, I'm closer to you than even your jugular vein. In another verse, God says, Know for sure that God resides between the human being and his heart. Again, an indication that God is very close to us. These and other verses, they point to the spiritual presence or the spiritual location of God, not the physical location. In the Islamic conception, we know that God is not considered in physical terms. God does not take up a physical space. God is not made up of mass. You and me, we take up physical space. If I'm sitting here, that means that I'm not in the next room. That I, it means I'm not in the U.S. or anywhere else. I'm right here. You can point to me. You can see me. We take up physical space. We have physical attributes, material attributes. God, in the Islamic tradition, does not take up physical space. You can't point to a particular direction and say God is in that direction. Right? God doesn't reside in the sky or in the heavens. So these verses, they point to God's spiritual location, where God resides spiritually. Imam Ali alayhi salam, one day, a man asked him, he said, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, have you seen your Lord? Have you seen God? Imam Ali turned to him, and he told him, of course I've seen God. How do you ex expect me to worship a God that I have not seen? The man was shocked. So tell me, where is God? If you've seen God, tell me, where does God reside? The imam, he clarified. He said, it is not the eyes, the physical eyes that see God. It is the hearts that experience God, the presence of God. So these and other verses, they point to God's spiritual location. And God says that he is very close to us. He's very near. The second point that this verse raises is that it encourages us to invoke God, to call upon God, to make an appeal to God, to supplicate, to make dua, to pray to God. God says, after saying that he is close, فَإِنِّي قَرِيبُ أُجِيبُ دَعْوَةَ الدَّاعِ إِذَا دَعَانِ I answer the call of the one who calls upon me. So, فَلْيَسْتَجِيبُوا لِي Let my servants answer my call. Thus, it encourages us to invoke God, to appeal to God. 
to communicate all of our concerns to God and to ask God for assistance in all of our affairs. And this is a recurring theme in the Quran and the teachings of the Holy Prophet and the purified Ahlul Bayt, peace be upon them. They encourage us to always reach out to God, to appeal to God, to beg God, to speak to God in every circumstance and in every situation. But some have expressed concerns. They've questioned the viability or the effectiveness of supplication, of dua. Some people consider dua, supplication, to be ineffective. They consider it to be meaninglessness, meaningless and to be a waste of time. And so they've rejected dua altogether. They've decided that supplication is not for them. Prayers are not for them. And here, these concerns stem from both a non-religious and religious perspectives. From a non-religious perspective, some have said that supplication or appealing to God is meaningless because it has a benumbing effect on us. That it stupefies us, it makes us into passive agents. It discourages us from taking control of our own affairs, from appealing to and using the natural order and rather putting our reliance on the supernatural, on the unseen. And so it's a waste of time. It's numbing, it makes us passive. Karl Marx who I think most of you know, the father of Marxism. He famously once described religion, he said, religion is the opiate of the masses. And what he meant by this was that it stupefies people. It numbs them in the same way that a drug numbs an individual, right? Drugs, the effect of drugs on us is that they numb us. They numb our minds and our bodies. Marx identified religion. He characterized religion. He said, the point of religion is to numb people so that they are no longer concerned with what they should be concerned about, with what is important in life. So this non-religious perspective sees dua, supplication, as being completely meaningless if it's not a waste of time. You're wasting your time appealing to something supernatural instead of actively taking reign of your affairs and taking control of every aspect of your life. But there are some concerns even from a religious perspective. Some from a religious perspective, they said that dua might be characterized as an arrogant attempt to intervene in God's affairs. God has decided, God has decreed so dua, supplication, it's kind of an arrogant way to try to intervene in what God has already decided. Or that dua perhaps is a way for us to contradict our obligation of being content and satisfied with what God has determined for us. God is the master of all affairs. God has determined for us certain things in life. And to supplicate is an attempt to express this dissatisfaction with what God has decreed for us. It goes against the idea of being content, being satisfied with what God has decreed for us. These are some religious perspectives even. But these concerns they stem from a misconception of the philosophy or the essence of dua. Or for those who are familiar with French, the raison d'etre of dua. Did I say that right? Thank God for Google. Right? This, these concerns, they stem from a misconception, misunderstanding what the essence of dua is what the philosophy behind supplication and dua is. Dua 
does not entail that one abandons the natural order or natural means and resources. In fact, our traditions, our teachings, they encourage us to take full advantage and to use all the resources that are available to us. Not to abandon the resources that we have at our disposal, but to actively take advantage, to utilize those means that God has given us. I read a story once about a religious man who lived in a city that faced a flooding. The city was being flooded with a storm. And so there was an evacuation order. The residents of that city had to evacuate the city, everyone. And law enforcement went around from home to home telling people that they need to evacuate immediately because the storm is coming and the city will be flooded. So they drove past the house of this man and they knocked on his door. He opened the door. They told him, listen, there's a flood coming and you're going to have to evacuate. So get in the car with us. The man turned to them. He said, oh, don't worry about me. God will take care of me. You go along. So they said, are you sure there's a flood coming? He said, yeah, God will take care of me. Just go. So the car left. The flood came and the water began to rise. All of the homes were being flooded. The man went up to the second story of his house. And as he was there, a boat came by and it passed by his house. They saw him standing behind the window of the house. They called out to him. They said, haven't you heard there's an evacuation order? The whole town is flooding. It's sinking. So come with us. Get on this boat. Let's get out of here. He turned to them and he said, no, that's fine. You go right along. God will take care of me. Go right ahead. So they left. The water began to rise. The man went on top of the roof of his home and the water was rising. And as he was standing on his roof, a helicopter came by. It was looking for people and they noticed the man standing on top of his home. So they called out, they threw a rope down and they called out to him. They said, hey, get on. We're evacuating. We need to leave. The whole town is flooded. He shouted back at them. He said, that's fine. I don't need your help. God will save me. God will take care of me. You go right along. So the helicopter left. The man ended up drowning. He died. And he went up to the gates of heaven. And there he met an angel. And the angel told him, you must be the man who drowned. He said, yes, I'm that man. And I'm very upset. I had reliance on God that God would save me. I was hoping that God would send me a miracle. So why didn't you send me any miracles? The angel replied, he said, we sent you three miracles. We sent you a car, a boat, and a helicopter. It's up to us to take advantage of the resources at our disposal. We are discouraged from the state of what is known as tawakul. There are two concepts. One is tawakkul, which means depending on God, having hope in God. And the other is tawakul, which means what? False dependence. It's when you put aside all means and you don't take advantage of what God has given you. And we are discouraged from that kind of sentiment, from that kind of behavior. Yes, we should have dependence and reliance on God, but we are encouraged to take advantage of the resources that God has given us and has put at our disposal. One day the Prophet, peace be upon him and his family, he saw a man disembark from his camel and walk away. The Prophet turned to him and he asked him, he said, are you not going to tie your camel? 
You're just going to let it free? Man said, yes, I depend on God. God will keep my camel safe. God, the prophet, peace be upon him, he said, yes, depend on God, but also tie your camel. Also tie your camel. Use the resources that God has given you. So we are encouraged not to engage in behavior where we don't take advantage of the means that God has given us. But we're also encouraged to realize our limits and our restrictions. We're very limited. We're very restricted in our capabilities. Doesn't matter who you are. You can be the wealthiest person. You can be the person on top of the world. You can have the biggest family, the most resources. You can have the best education, the best job. But we're all limited. None of us is unlimited in our capacities. Look at what a tiny virus that cannot be seen by the eye. Look at what it has done to the whole world, the whole globe. It put it at a complete standstill. All seven billion people, all of the governments of the world, all of the militaries, all of the wealth, all of the resources, all of the weapons, all of the mines, all of the science has not been able to overcome this tiny virus. It shows us how limited we are. We have no strength over ourselves, let alone others. We're very limited, and it's important that we remember that we are limited. We remember that we are incapable of many things. And this should lead us to a sense of humility. Imam Ali salam, very beautifully, he says, I'm surprised at the one who displays arrogance. We see that sometimes in our lives. We might exhibit arrogance sometimes in our lives, or we know others who are arrogant or exhibit arrogance in their lives. Imam Ali says, I'm shocked when I see someone displaying arrogance. When a human being displays arrogance, why? says, because if he or she knows their origin and their destination, says a human being originates as a drop of semen. That's our origin. Every single one of us sitting here today and around the world, that was our origin. And we end up what? As a dead carcass. As a lifeless body. Right? We're placed under the dirt. Imam Ali says, this is the origin of the human being and this is the destination, the end of the human being. And between that, Imam Ali says, the human being is a vessel that is carrying waste all the time. Don't look at our outer appearances. We might be clean. We might be well-maintained in our outer appearances, in our grooming, in our hygiene, in our clothing, we smell good, we look good. But inside each and every one of us, we're carrying waste, filth. Imam Ali says, if this is the origin of the human and their end and their life, they're basically a vessel carrying waste, then what is there to be arrogant or proud about? It makes us humble. We realize that we are limited and we are restricted. So we're encouraged to remember that we are limited. Now, what dua does, to go back to dua, what supplication does is that it allows us to overcome the possible despair that comes with our restriction. We're encouraged to recognize that we are limited, but sometimes, because we are limited, this might push us to a state of despair helplessness or hopelessness. What dua does, it helps us avoid falling into that state of despair because we are limited by connecting us with the unlimited. We may be limited, but when we appeal to God, we turn to God, we are connected with the everlasting and the unlimited. 
the one who is capable of all things. God is capable of all things. God's capacity and ability is limitless. And so we connect to this source of unlimited strength and capability through dua. And dua instills in us a sense of hope. It's really easy to fall into a state of despair. We face challenges in life, we face problems, everyone does. No one goes through life without facing challenges, problems. And sometimes it's easy to fall into a state of despair, helplessness, hopelessness. Dua gives us a boost of hope. And hope is important, brothers and sisters. It's important that we maintain hope. Hope in a higher power, in a higher being that is capable of helping us overcome all of the challenges and the problems and the deficiencies that we face. Hope is important. We should never be hopeless. Always maintain a sense of hope. This is what gives us strength to carry on and to move forward. Hope has many psychological effects has many psychological benefits. Experts tell us that one of the benefits or the advantages of hope is that it helps to reduce some of the anxiety that we feel. When you know that there is a higher power to support you, this helps to ease some of the anxiety that we feel. It gives us peace of mind. It allows us, it promotes in us calmness, it promotes in us and it increases in us self-control that we're able to control our nafs, not to fall into despair, that we stand up. So hope has many benefits and this is one of the benefits of dua. It connects us to the unlimited God and it also instills in our hearts and minds a sense of hope for something better, for a better situation. But even when it comes to the concerns that I raised about you know, intervening in God's affairs, that dua is an intervention in God's affairs, or that it contradicts our obligation to be content with God's decrees, this is not the case. This is a misconception. Why? Because God is the one who commands us to supplicate. God is the one who commands us to call upon him God says, li. Let them call upon me. I will answer their call. Let them heed this. God is commanding me. He's saying, call upon me. Appeal to me. Invoke me. Ask me. And I will give you. I will answer your call. In another verse, God says, And God says, call upon me and I shall answer your call. So it's not an intervention. It doesn't contradict our obligations because God is asking us to call upon God and to appeal to God. Some of the traditions, they tell us that one of the most beloved acts to God is when a person turns wholeheartedly in supplication. Dua is one of the most beloved actions of human beings to God. And many traditions, many ahadith, they emphasize this. They tell us that God desires our communication. God wants us to reach out. Sometimes, even when it comes to delay in answering of our prayers, we've probably all experienced this. You call upon God, you ask God, but there's a delay in the answer to your call. It's delayed, it's not immediate. Some traditions, some reports, they tell us that some God, sometimes God deliberately delays answering us. Why? Because God loves to hear us call upon God. God wants to hear us. God loves to hear our voices. 
when we turn in sincerity and we say, my Lord, ilahi wa sayyidi wa mawlai, my Lord, I beg you, I appeal to you, grant me my need, help me, assist me. God loves to hear the voice of his servants. And this is why sometimes it's delayed. Why? Because more often than not, we forget God as soon as we get what we want. When we're in need, when we have a pressing situation, we remember God all the time. We pray day and night. We supplicate constantly and consistently. We beg God. We implore God. But in many cases, as soon as I get what I want, suddenly God becomes a stranger again. I forget God. I forget my prayers. I forget my supplications. So God says, I know this about you. And this is why sometimes I'll delay answering your call because I want to keep hearing you call upon me. Because I know that sometimes when I give you what you want, you're going to forget about me. God desires our communication, brothers and sisters. The doors of God are always open. They never close. Every institution, every organization, every company has opening hours. There are certain times and certain hours that that company, that organization, that individual is accessible, and there are certain times that they're not accessible. They're not operating. The only being whose doors are always open is God. But it's important for us to take the step to enter into the gates of God. It's important for us to call upon God day and night in every situation, in every circumstance. Imam al-Sadiq he says that dua is a divine opportunity. The hadith says, إِنَّ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلْ مَنْزِلَةً لَا تُنَالُ إِلَّا بِمَسْأَلَةً That there is a station, there is a place with God that is not acquired except by asking God. God is the sustainer. God provides. All of what we have is from God. God is the one who gives us. God is the one who provides for us. Without even asking. Did any of us ask for our health? We were given our health before we even asked for it. God gave us wealth, family, provisions without even asking. Before we even came into this world, God determined our provisions and took care of us. But the Imam says there are some things that God has reserved for those who ask. God wants us to ask. And so we should ask. We should invoke God. We should implore God, the essence of dua, dear friends, is a wholehearted, sincere appeal to God. We turn to God and we ask God for everything that we need. But the traditions, they tell us that there are certain conditions and prerequisites. We know the importance of dua. We may supplicate, we may ask God, but there are certain conditions, certain prerequisites that help to guarantee that our prayers are answered, our calls are answered. And there are many. We'll take a moment to explore some of them. One of these conditions is that we are consistent in our du'as and prayers. That we ask God in all times, in good times and in difficult times. Don't keep your dua reserved only for when you're facing difficulty. That's a good thing. Of course, we ask God to help us when we face challenges. But our dua, our communication with God should not just be restricted to times of difficulty and then we forget about God during times of ease. We have to be consistent. Consistently communicate with God. In good times and in bad times. Thank God in good times and in bad times. Ask God for assistance in good times and in difficult times. So number one, 
is that we are consistent in our supplications. Number two is that our supplications are comprehensive. What does this mean? This means ask God for every single thing that you need. Don't keep your du'as only for the big things. Don't keep your pleas only for the major things with the fear that if I ask God too much, then I'll have, you know, reached the limit of what God will give me. Sometimes it's like that with friends, right? You don't want to ask too many favors. Because after a while, your friend will be like, hey, listen, I think, you know, we're, you've, you've uh, exhausted all of your requests. I only have a limited capacity to help you, right? You've asked too many times. So that might, that kind of mindset might discourage us from asking God. We kind of want to protect our major needs. We want to preserve those. We want to keep dua for those so that we don't run out of chances to appeal. No. The traditions, they tell us to ask God for everything, big or small. Some of the ahadith, they give some interesting insights. They say, ask even for the salt for your bread. Most of us will probably think that that is insignificant. Me? Pray to God. I can just go to Walmart and buy salt. Right? Let me keep the du'as for the big things, not for the salt and the sugar. But the ahadith, they tell us, they insist on us, they encourage us to ask God for everything. To be comprehensive. Comprehensive. God is capable of all things, big and small. Don't feel that you ever run out of chances to ask God. Keep asking and ask for everything. This is number two. Number three is that we maintain the purity of our body and soul. What does this mean? Number one, it means that there are certain etiquette to dua, such as maintaining physical purity. One of the recommended things to do before engaging in dua is to perform wudu. To perform wudu. Wudu is not just a prerequisite for our daily prayers. We're encouraged to perform wudu when we want to recite the Qur'an. We're encouraged to perform wudu when we want to supplicate to God. Because there's a symbolic purity. You are standing before God, the majestic. And so you purify your body. This is number one. But it goes beyond to also purifying our souls. What does this mean? Our souls, dear friends, are the receptacle of divine guidance. We say that God guides us, right? God guides human beings. How does that work? Where does, God, where does God's guidance fit? Our hearts, not our physical hearts, our souls, our minds, our spirits, they are the receptacles of God's guidance and God's blessings upon us. In order for this receptacle to work properly, for it to actually sort of connect to God's mercy and God's blessings, it has to be purified. It doesn't work if it's filthy. It doesn't work. If it's contaminated, it doesn't do its job. Sort of like when you're driving. When you're driving, you want especially your front windshield to be clean, right? If it's raining, or if your windshield is dirty, you can't see your way. The car doesn't do its job. You can't find your direction. Similarly, our souls have to be purified. They have to be cleansed so that they can receive God's blessings and God's mercy and God's guidance. We have to maintain purity of our hearts and minds. Now, no one is perfect. We all make mistakes. But the doors of God's forgiveness are always open. Seek forgiveness. If you want to turn to supplication, to appeal to God, take some time to seek forgiveness. Cleanse your heart and cleanse your mind. It's said that one day, Prophet Musa, peace be upon him, one day he was walking and he passed by a man who was on the ground, he was appealing, he was supplicating, crying and weeping and yelling. 
My Lord, grant me my needs. I appeal to you. I supplicate to you. So Prophet Musa was moved. He turned to the man and he said, what are you doing? He said, I'm appealing to God. I'm begging God to grant me my needs. Prophet Musa was moved. He passed by. He walked on and then he turned to God and he said, my Lord, I have a question to ask you. Why is it that you are not answering the call of this man? He's begging you. He's thrown himself on the ground. He's, we he's weeping. He's in tears. He's crying. He's appealing to you. So why don't you answer his call? Why don't you answer his prayers? God, he replied, Ya Musa, you only see the apparent, but I see what is inside his heart. I see everything. I'm aware of all situations. This man is surrounded by immorality and sin. This man is surrounded by sins and crimes. He's filled his record with evil deeds. What he possesses, what he wears, comes from forbidden or impermissible earnings. His belongings, his clothing, his residence, the food that he consumes, his actions, he's enveloped in immorality. And this blocks my answering of his supplication. Doesn't Imam Ali alayhi salam remind us in Dua Kumay? Allahumma ghfirliya dhunuba allati tahbisu dua. My Lord, forgive those sins that block the dua. There are some sins that block our dua from reaching God. We have to maintain a purity of our bodies, purity of our souls. We have to make sure that we are avoiding haram, avoiding that which is prohibited when it comes to my earnings, the money that I'm bringing home, the money that I'm purchasing my home with and my car with and my clothing with and bringing food on the table, that that is permissible. You have to be very careful. A lot of people, they take a very relaxed stance. They're not very cautious with where their earnings come from or where their food comes from or the permissibility or impermissibility, God forbid, of their food that they consume, they put into their bodies. If we want our du'as to be answered, we have to maintain purity of our body and purity of our soul. Next, we are expected to fulfill our personal and social responsibilities, especially when it comes to our social responsibilities towards others. How many times have I called upon God and I expect God to answer my call, but when people call upon me, I ignore their calls? I'm not talking about telephone calls here, huh? Some people, they'll reach out to me. Some people will ask, they need my assistance. They'll extend their hands and they'll say, help me, please, assist me. Not just in a monetary way. But some people will say, listen, I'm facing a difficulty. Could you please help me? You have a particular skill. You have a resource at your disposal. Help me. Come to my assistance. And we might ignore that person. How do I expect God to answer me, my call, when I'm ignoring the call of others? Let's make sure that we're taking care of others as well. That we're fulfilling our social responsibilities. Anytime the traditions, they tell us that some of the best actions are fulfilling the needs of others. And we shouldn't wait for people to reach out to us. Some people, they have a sense of honor and dignity. They might be facing a challenge, a difficulty, but they feel a sense of honor so they don't ask for help. We should look for opportunities to help others, to fulfill others' needs, if we can. So this is another condition, another obligation. The next 
is that when we supplicate, we supplicate with a sense of sincerity and mindfulness. We're always rushing when it comes to communicating with God. Our prayers, we just want to get them over very, very quickly. I feel like it's a burden on my shoulders, right? Many cases, you know that feeling? You know, if you're traveling or if you're out or if it, you're in a circumstance that's a little difficult and it's the time for prayers and suddenly you feel this heavy burden on your shoulders. And that burden is on your shoulders until you fulfill your prayers. As soon as you pray, you say, Allah, Alhamdulillah. I lifted this huge burden off my shoulders. Let me get on my flight now. Let me continue my shopping. Let me get to my meeting now. We think of prayers and communication with God as a burden. As a burden. Whereas we should think of it as an opportunity. Take some time. Don't rush in your dua. Don't rush in your prayers. Be mindful. When you pray to God, do so with sincerity, with an open mind, understanding what it is that you are asking and who you're asking. Take time. It's recommended that after our daily prayers that we perform the supplications, the ta'qibat. There are many mustahab du'as after fajr prayer, after dhuhr, after asr, after maghrib, after isha. Spend a little bit of time on your prayer mat. Recite those du'as. Do so mindfully. Make time to pray to God beyond just our daily prayers. Make time to supplicate to God. Don't make it a passing issue. Very quickly, you just want to get it over with. Be sincere and mindful in your prayers. Allocate a time of day. And the best time for dua, dear friends, is in the middle of the night. When everyone is busy sleeping. And some are busy snoring. And some louder than others. That time where everyone is busy resting, you wake up. And you turn to God. You perform your wudu. You sit on your prayer mat. And you turn wholeheartedly to God. And you take your time and you speak to God. Make that time. There are times where the supplication of our, the, the, the answering of our supplications and calls is guaranteed. In the middle of the night, at Fajr time. At Fajr time. Now, why those times? Because those are the hardest times for us. It's not in the middle of the day. You're awake, you've had your coffee, you're fully functioning. That would be too easy. It's those difficult times, the times that most people ignore. They're busy with other things. But God reserves that time. He says, for those who make the effort to spend that time in the middle of the night, who wake up for their federal prayers and they turn to me in devotion, I will answer their call. Make that time. Be mindful in your du'as. Next, we should insist on God. We should persist in our supplications and du'as. Never give up. Never. Giving up is never an option. Persist. Even if it takes weeks, even if it takes months, even if it takes years. Don't give up. Continue to implore God. Continue to invoke God. God loves those who persist in their communication. God loves them. So insist on God. Never give up. Continue to pray and supplicate and appeal to God. The next condition, and this is an important condition, add the praise of the Prophet and the family of the Prophet to your du'as. The hadith says that any du'a which begins with the salawat, the praise of the Prophet and his purified progeny, and ends with the praise of the Prophet and his purified progeny, God, he answers that prayer. Because the hadith says, God says, I am ashamed to answer 
one part of the dua and not the other part. When we praise the Prophet, this is a supplication. We say, Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ali Muhammad. Sallu ala Muhammadin wa ali It's a supplication. We're saying, Oh Lord, send your blessings and praise upon the Prophet and his family. It's a supplication. It's a dua that we're doing. God says, I am ashamed to answer that part of the dua, but not the other part of the dua. So if it's sandwiched, your dua is sandwiched between, it be, begins with the prayers, the blessings, seeking blessings and prayers upon the Prophet and his family, and it ends with that. The hadith say that God will accept that dua. There's something symbolic about this too. Not just anyone. We're not invoking blessings just on anyone. We're invoking blessings on the most special people that ever lived on the face of this planet. We're asking God for the sake of the best of creation. The Ahlul Bayt have a very high place with God. Very high place. And so it makes sense for us to invoke God using their names, using their status. And God is greater and more honorable and more merciful than to deny our du'as when we appeal to him through the Prophet and his purified project. And finally, the final point is that we should use the best of resources at our disposal. Use the prayers and the supplications of the Prophet and the Ahlul Bayt. You know, the best way to appeal to someone is if you know their mindset. When you want to approach someone, you have to, the best way is to be strategic. You know their mindset. We see this all the time with our parents, right? You know, everyone knows that there are certain times, there are certain places, there are certain contexts where it makes sense to go and to ask your parents for something, and there are certain times where that's not a good idea at all. Why? Because you know their mindset. You know their sentiments. You know them. So you can be strategic when you ask. God is best known and understood through the Prophet and his purified project. No one knows God better than them. The Prophet tells Amirul Mu'mineen, he says, Ya Ali, ma araf Allah illa ana wa ant. No one has known God in the same way that you and me know God. And no one has known me better than God and you, O Ali. And no one knows you, O Ali, better than me and God. The Prophet and the Ahlul Bayt, they are the best in recognizing and knowing God. So when they perform their supplications, their du'as, they know exactly how to speak to God. What more beautiful du'as are there in existence than those of the Ahlul Bayt? A few days ago, last month, in the Hijri calendar, was the day of Arafah. And on that day, most of us, we recited the dua of Imam Hussein on the day of Arafah. What an amazing dua. What amazing words. The Imam turns to God and he speaks to him in that specific way. What better duas do we have than from Imam Hussein? What better duas do we have than from Imam Zainul Abideen alayhi salam? His munajat those beautiful silent prayers, each one of them is a gem in itself. What better supplications do we have than those that have been taught to us by Amirul Mu'mineen Look at the power of Dua al-Sabah, which is recommended to recite after the Fajr prayers. Look at the power of Dua Kumail, a Dua that most of us are very familiar with. The Imam speaks so intimately with God. 
so intimately. What he asks and the way that he appeals, these are the best resources. We are truly blessed as the followers of the Ahlul Bayt to have this treasure trove of resources, of supplications, of du'as that we can draw upon. Sometimes if you're not able to speak and say the du'a in your own words, turn to the du'as of the Ahlul Bayt. And do so mindfully. Understand what you're saying. Make sure that you do so cognizantly. This were the Ahlul Bayt. This is the legacy of Ahlul Bayt. This is the legacy of Amir al-Mu'mineen. He taught us how to speak to God. Imam Ali alayhi salam, during his final moments, after he had been struck on the head with a poisonous sword on the eve of the 19th of the month of Ramadan. And we know that that was a tragic event. The poison had seeped into the body of the commander of the faithful. The man who was able to snatch the gate of Khaybar with one hand was no longer able to stand on his own two feet. He had been weakened. And over the course of the next two days, he became very weak. And as he lay on his deathbed, he called upon his family and upon his children. He brought them close. Imagine the sight, dear friends. I want us to go to Kufa that night. Imagine the sight of Amir al-Mu'mineen lying down on his deathbed. And he is surrounded by his family. He is surrounded by his children. And in that weak state, he turns around, he looks to the left and to the right. He sees his beloved Hassan standing next to him. What goes through Imam Ali's mind? His beloved Hassan, who will be assassinated after him, he will be poisoned after him. He then turns his gaze and he looks over to his beloved Hussein. My dear Hussein, what will befall you after me? He then turns around and he looks at his beloved Abbas. My dear Abbas, you are so young. The challenges that are ahead for you. He then turns around and he looks at his daughter Zainab and Umm Kulthum. My beloved daughters. The tragedies that await you after me are great. This was the state of Amir al-Mu'mineen during his final moments. Ya Mawlaya, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen. On that night, on that fateful night of the 21st of the month of Ramadan, while you were in that state, you were surrounded by your loved ones and your family and all of them were healthy and okay. Ya Mawlai, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, what about your beloved Hussein? There will come a time very soon that he would be standing all alone on the plains of Karbala, surrounded by his enemies. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun. وَسَيَعْلَمُ الَّذِينَ ظَلَمُوا أَيَّمٌ قَلَبٍ يَنْقَلِبُونَ وَالْعَاقِبَةُ لِلْمُتَّقِينَ السلام عليك يا سيدي ويا مولاي يا أبا عبد الله السلام عليك وعلى الأرواح التي حلت بفنائك عليكم مني جميعا سلام الله أبدا ما بقيت وبقي الليل والنهار ولا جعله الله آخر العهد مني لزيارتكم السلام 
على الحسين وعلى علي بن الحسين وعلى أولاد الحسين وعلى أصحاب الحسين السلام عليكم جميعا ورحمة الله وبركاته وإلى أرواح المؤمنين والمؤمنات نهدي جميعا ثواب سورة الفاتحة مع الصلوات